Hey everybody, Pastor Dan here. Thank you so much for listening to our sermon podcast. Before we get into today's message, I just want to give you a heads up that January is Stewardship Month here at Brockport First Baptist. All month we're going to be studying some of Jesus' teachings about money in the Gospel of Mark while we reflect together on our own stewardship. If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support the ministries of our church, head over to brockportfirstbaptist.org give. You'll find a bunch of ways there that you can support our church, including by shopping through our Amazon Smile link and by giving online through PayPal. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting our church. We couldn't do what we do without you. Now on to the podcast. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Okay, now it's the time for our scripture reading, and I'm going to preface this by saying um, when Luann sent this out the other day, I was thrilled because this reading in Mark was precious to my mom. This meant a lot to her, and she talked about it a lot with me when I was growing up and in her older age as well. So this reading from Mark chapter 12, verse 38 to uh, 13, verse 2. As Jesus taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth about a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings? Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. The word of Jesus. Thanks for that reading, Kurt. My initial thought when you shared about your mom is she must not have been a fan of scribes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So how's everybody doing with this cold? It's been pretty intense. Um, I went outside yesterday morning. The wind chill was negative 15. I didn't know it got that cold. <laughs> like, I didn't know that was an option. Um, every once in a while, you know, one of my friends from California will, like, you know, reach out. How are things in New York? How's the weather there? For, like, three years, I've just been like, oh, it's not that bad. <laughs> I get it now. I get it now. <clears throat> So we're in a teaching series uh, for the month of January as part of our uh, stewardship season 
where we are looking at some of Jesus' teachings about money in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, And this is the big one. Uh, Our passage for today is really the stewardship text of the New Testament. This is the one that, like every preacher, every church at some point, uses this story to talk about giving to the church. It's a story of the widow's offering, which is also known more traditionally as the widow's mite. Jesus is hanging out at the temple, and he's watching as the people come forward to deposit their gifts in the treasury, which is a totally normal thing to do, right? Who hasn't spent a Saturday at the temple watching people give their offerings? Um, (laughs) But you've got all these wealthy folks coming forward, and they're dumping huge sums of money in the offering, And then this poor widow steps up, and she puts in two copper coins, which are worth about a penny. Jesus assesses the situation, and he declares that this poor widow has put more money in the offering than all the others. Because while the wealthy folks gave out of their excess, their abundance, their wealth, this woman has given all she had to live on. Classic story, right? And what preachers usually do um, is we hold up this widow as the example, right? We should be like her. We should give like her. We should give freely and joyfully and uh, generously of all we have to the work of the gospel. How many of us here, uh, out of curiosity, how many of us have heard that sermon before? Just, just about everybody. Uh, me too. I've heard that one probably a dozen times at like three different churches. Unfortunately, though, I'm about to, like, burst some bubbles. I can see, like, scared puppies. Everyone's looking at me. Um, Unfortunately, though, as effective as that interpretation might be for getting people to take out their wallets and put some money in the plate, unfortunately, that reading misses what's going on in this story. It catches a a piece of it. It gives us a, a glimpse, but it misses the bigger picture. And this is a case where it's actually pretty easy to get the big picture on this one. Like normally, uh, when we come together on Sunday mornings and we dig into the Bible, we talk about cultural context, and I'm putting Greek and Hebrew words up here and things like that, but you don't have to know any of that to get the context on this one. You don't have to know uh, Greek and Hebrew to see what's happening in this story. All you have to do is read the story in context. Read the parts right before and right after it. Not everybody knows this, uh, but those little verse numbers in your Bibles as you're reading, the little, the little numbers that are like superscripted as you go through, um, those aren't original. Those were added in the Middle Ages by scribes to make it easier to find specific passages in the Bible. None of those little verse numbers were there when the text was written originally. So if you ever come across a single verse or even a short story like this one, it is crucial to read the parts right before and right after to get the context. And when you do that with this story, it changes everything. When churches talk about the widow's mite, they usually focus on verses 41 to 44. That's the part we know, right, about the widow who comes forward and drops her last two coins in the offering. But how many of us know the part right before all that in verses 38 to 40? I'll put it up here and read it for you. Kurt read it too. As he taught, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, 
and be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. How many of us before today knew that that came right before the widow's offering story? Okay, a couple. See, I didn't. I had kind of missed that one, all right? All those sermons, you'd think this would be important setup for a story about a widow who gives her last two coins to the temple. But that's not all. After the widow gives her offering, Jesus keeps talking. We usually stop this at the end of chapter 12, but remember, chapter, verse numbers, none of that's original. Jesus just keeps on going, and the text just keeps going into what we call chapter 13. Put that up as well. This is after the widow's might, right after. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Jesus' disciples are taken in. They're, you know, arrested by the grandeur of it, the beauty of this massive temple. But Jesus is like, you see this temple? You see all these big buildings? It's all coming down. Not one stone will be left upon another. Something Jesus saw that day at the temple Something he witnessed while the people were giving their offerings triggered him to denounce the whole thing. Maybe it was the extravagance that was on display um, as the rich folks came forward and made a a public spectacle of their gifts. Um, Maybe there was some kind of manipulation tactic used by the preacher to get this widow to drop her last two coins in the plate. Or maybe... Maybe Jesus is offended by the sheer economic inequality of it all. The fact that in a place of worship, a temple with this much wealth, there's a widow who remains poor. Whatever it was that sparked his reaction, Jesus makes one thing crystal clear. This is not how you build a temple. Not if you want it to last. Guys, I'm not going to tell you to be like this widow, because I don't actually think that's the point of this story. I'm not going to do what every other preacher does with this text and try to guilt trip you into giving like she gave, because I think she was being exploited. This is a stewardship text, but not in the traditional sense. This is a story that should make churches and church leaders everywhere think long and hard about how we are stewarding the gifts we are given. How are we building our temple? Uh, A lot of churches lack transparency when it comes to finances. Um, They might 
preach a good game on stewardship. They might do a really good job of encouraging people uh, to give to the church, but good luck getting most churches out there to actually be transparent and talk about how they steward the gifts that they receive. Part of why I'm an American Baptist, by the way, uh, part of the reason I'm part of this tradition and proud to uh, be pastoring this church is because we do things differently. As American Baptists, we are congregationally led in pretty much everything, especially finances. Um, there's no secret dealings. There's no, like, smoke-filled back room. We don't have um, a bishop or some other, you know, hierarchical structure telling us how to spend money. Um, our budget and all of our major financial decisions are made by church council and voted on by the congregation, by you. So how are we building our temple? What I want to do uh, with the time we have left today, as we're in a new year and as our stewardship month is starting to draw to a close, is I want to take a look at this question. How are we building our temple here at Brockport First Baptist? How are we stewarding our finances and using the gifts God has blessed us with? First thing I want to do, though, before we get into all that, is I want to thank everyone who has contributed financially to the church over the last year. Um, it's been a tough year. 2021 was hard, um, but your generosity, your stewardship uh, has ensured that our ministries remain strong and it's enabled our church to thrive even during the pandemic. So first off, I want to say thank you, folks at home, folks here. Um, to get a bit more into the details, though, I put together some stewardship statistics, some numbers. I know that gets everyone really excited. Um, <clears throat> every, yeah, there we go. Woo. Every month we put um, like a, a stewardship report, a stewardship update in the bulletin uh, showing how much was given, how much we spent, the, the difference. There's usually a negative balance there that we don't talk about. Um, but I want to get into the data and the, the, what's behind some of those numbers. Um, so here are some stewardship stats for our church. And, and, and uh, a lot of what I found was surprisingly really positive. We have about 60 active households in our church, give or take. That's uh, 60 households that are engaged, that uh, show up with some regularity, um, that are a part of this thing. That also includes a number of households out of state who worship with us online, uh, many of whom give online, go to small groups online. We see you. You are a part of this community, too. 60 active households in our church, <clears throat> and out of those 60 households, about 40 give regularly. That's actually really good. Two-thirds of active households in this church are also regular contributors. That's huge. And of those 40 households that give regularly, 65% give over $100 a month. That's amazing. You should give yourselves a round of applause for that, because that's wild. Um, but this church functions. We're able to do what we do in part because we've got a core group of faithful givers who give regularly and sacrificially to our church. And I don't show these numbers uh, to shame anyone who's not a regular giver, or if you give less than $100 a month. Um, that's not what this is about. Uh, times are tough. I totally get that. Um, and I always encourage everyone to give as they feel led but I show these numbers just to highlight the fact that we are a church that takes stewardship seriously, which is amazing. So good job. That's the giving side of things. That's the income. 
Let's talk about where the money goes. How are our gifts being spent? How is our church leadership, how are we as a congregation stewarding these gifts? I want to show you all a pie chart. This is how our church spends money. Um, I base these figures on our current budget. I also looked at what we actually spent in 2021, and I talked to a number of leaders in our church to make sure these numbers uh, are accurate, and this is how we spend money. Just to kind of hit all these real quick, we'll go through it more in depth in a second. About 60% of our spending goes to employee salaries and benefits. 4% is for administration. 17% is for property management. 7% for worship, 3% for outreach, 4% for other ministries, and 5% for benevolence. There's not going to be a test. You don't have to write all that down. Um, That's a lot of numbers, but let's dig into these, each one, and see kind of what lies behind that. And we'll start with salaries and benefits. This is 60% of our budget. So this is like me, Pastor Alicia, um, Peggy, our custodian, uh, our office administrator in times that we have one. Right now, Alicia does all of that. Um, But that is 60% of our budget, and that's actually pretty good. The average nonprofit organization spends 65 to 75% of its budget on staff salaries and things like that. So we're actually on the lower side of average, which for a small church is really good. I was um, delightfully surprised when I saw that number. Um, And since this includes my ability to like feed, clothe, and house my family, I feel like I should just say another thank you. Um, Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for valuing my ministry and work here. Thank you for valuing people like Alicia and Lucas and Peggy. Um, A lot of times when churches talk about, if they talk about how they spend money, they highlight the, the, the sexy stuff, the ministry stuff, the big stuff. Um, but this is really important, too. It is an honor to be part of a church that actually honors and takes care of its employees. So thank you for that. The next segment of this chart is administration. That's 4% of our spending. Got to print those bulletins, right? No. Um, this, is, this is all kinds of stuff. This is things like uh, office supplies, payroll fees, postage, petty cash, um, other things like that. That comes out to about 4% of our spending. 17% of our money is spent on property management. That's the building. <clears throat> That's stuff like utility bills, telephone, basic upkeep and repairs, leaky toilets, that sort of thing. Um, this doesn't include major building repairs. Uh, stuff like the tower repair we had to do last year to keep our tower from falling, o- falling over, or um, some of the big upcoming building expenses we talked about a few weeks ago at our uh, last congregational business meeting. None of that comes out of general offerings, at least not typically. Um, what we try to do is the money for big repairs comes through capital campaigns where we raise money for the repairs, Um, grants we apply for, and income from our endowment. That's how we try to split that. Um, Jan shared a few weeks ago about our endowment fund and uh, what a blessing it's been to have that income that we can put towards some of the bigger repair projects. Um, And that is something where if you want to contribute to that when it comes to things like estate planning or wanting to give a gift that, like, you know, lasts a long time, you can consider giving to our endowment fund. 
another building-related expense that's not up here because it doesn't come from the general offering uh, is the roof fund. 20 years ago, we put a new roof on our church. We pay about $1,200 a month on that. It should be paid off in two years, um, which is awesome because that is the only debt our church carries, is our roof. So when you give to the roof fund, that helps eliminate that debt, which allows us to focus more of our money and our resources and energy on ministry, which is the rest of this chart. About 20% of our spending, the rest of this pie chart, goes straight into ministry. So let's talk about that chunk. Worship is 7% of our budget, of our spending. That covers stuff like worship supplies, guest preachers, musicians. That money also helps keep our streaming set up up to date, which has been especially important through the pandemic. Um, Some weeks, uh, like last week for sure, um, some weeks we have more people worshiping with us online than in person, Um, so it's really important to keep that streaming set up running. Um, To give you some statistics on online views and things like that, Our YouTube channel, where we stream these services, has 115 subscribers, which is which is pretty good. Like that's that's more than I realized we had, Um, and it's received over 14,000 views since March of 2020. Over 14,000. That totals a little more than 3,000 hours of watch time. Uh, And in the last month alone, we have received over 500 views on YouTube this past month, which is amazing. Uh, For a small church, we have a pretty wide impact. And that is all thanks to our worship budget. Outreach is the next piece of the pie. That's 3%. That's stuff like the gathering table, teen closet, um, basically everything that Joni shared about last week. Um, It's also worth noting that the outreach piece of the pie is a little smaller than normal this year due to the pandemic. Um, We weren't able to do gathering table and teen closet for what, the first, was it three months of the year, something like that, Um, because of COVID, but we still served over 600 meals and had over 100 households visit the teen closet, which is amazing, you guys. That's huge reach, Um, and I can't wait to see how our outreach grows um, as we continue to adapt and hopefully, fingers crossed, move beyond the pandemic. Any time now, Jesus. Um, (laughs) Seriously. Um, Next piece of the pie, 4%, is for other ministries. That's pretty much everything else. Um, That's stuff like children's ministry, people care, When we do events, like at the sidewalk sale or the arts fest, um, that's money spent on discipleship and small groups. Um, When we do a book study here and we sell the book cheaper than Amazon, we don't actually buy it cheaper than Amazon, right? Like, we cover some of that cost to enable more people to participate in these groups. All of that is covered under other ministries. And then the last piece of the pie, the last 5% or so of our spending, goes to benevolence. That's a fancy church word uh, for when we as a church give money away. We give away about 5% of the money that we spend. Um, 2% of every offering is given to our denomination, the American Baptist Churches USA. Uh, That's a gift that we give by choice, by the way. Our denomination doesn't require us to send that money, at least not as far as I know of. I I 
think I checked that with you. Am I right, Chan? <laughs> yes, I'm right. Okay, good. Um, and we gave the denomination over $2,500 in 2021. Benevolence also includes um, all of our communion offerings. So every month here at the church, we do a special offering for some ministry or charity or group that is doing work outside the church. Um, that's stuff like World Missions, America for Christ, Camera Ministries, Brockport Food Shelf. You gave over $5,600 last year to communion um, offerings, which is incredible. And benevolence also includes money given to our Helping Hands Fund, which is the money we use when people come to our church in need to make sure that we are not allowing poor widows to go hungry on our watch. Add all that up, and our congregation gave away over $8,000 last year to other ministries, people in need, and things like that, which again, for a small church, that is pretty amazing. So if we zoom out on this pie chart, this is how our church spends money. And I'm biased, obviously, um, but if I were to grade our congregation when it comes to stewardship to how we're building our temple, I'd give us pretty high marks. Um, There's more we could do. There's always room to improve, but for a small church, I think we do a pretty good job of how we steward our money. When I think about the future and where I'd like to see us go from here, there's a lot of stuff I think we could build on and do even better. Um, I'd love to see that benevolence amount increase to 10%. I think that would be amazing. Uh, Churches will often talk about tithing, this idea of giving a tenth of your income to the church. If that's going to be a guide for giving to the church, it should also be a guide or something we shoot for in our giving as a church, right? Um, And, you guys, we're like halfway there. We're actually pretty close. Benevolence is at 5%. It wouldn't be that hard. You add 1% to that a year, and we would get to 10% in five years. That's not hard math. That sounds doable, though. Um, I'd love to see outreach grow. I'd love to see that outreach part of the pie get up to about 5%. Um, I'd love to see more people join the outreach team. I'd love to see um, new ideas that that could bring, new initiatives, new ways um, to partner and serve people in our community. Um, This one's a lot less sexy, but on the building front, I'd love to see our roof paid off in the next year. Um, I know Aaron and I, one of the things, one of the decisions we made for our own stewardship this year is we are going to be giving an extra $100 a month toward the roof fund on top of our tithe just to help wipe out the only debt our church has. I would love to get that roof paid off and have no debt. That would be amazing. And then when I think about other ministries, when I think about things like discipleship, I would love to see more people in small groups. Uh, We've got two fantastic groups that are starting. One started Thursday. The other one starts in about two weeks. Um, The books are at the Connection Center. You can sign up today. Get connected. Learn. Grow in your faith. That is what this is about. We made a huge investment in children's ministry over the last year. Um, We went from spending a couple hundred dollars a year on kids' ministry to $3,000 this past year on kids' ministry, and that investment has returned dividends. We saw that return on investment at our Christmas pageant this past year. 
There are families in our church again. There are kids running around breaking stuff. It's amazing. (laughs) Usually it's my kids. Usually it's my kids. There are young parents out there um, who are looking for a place, many of whom have been hurt by other churches. There are families that are not welcome in other churches. Um, There are parents who are going through stuff, deconstructing their faith, not sure where they're even at, but wanting to ground their kids in a healthy, Christ-centered view of God, and they're finding our church. Our family ministry is going to continue to grow, and that requires resources and people. We could use some more children's ministry volunteers. I know you've heard me say that before. Um, I've been uh, banging that drum for about six months. Uh, and I'm going to keep hanging it until we, until we fill all those spots. Um, we could use some more volunteers for our nursery. We could use backup volunteers to serve uh, when our regular teachers are out of town or get sick. If we want to keep our families, we need to serve them. So I'd encourage you, if you're not already connected to children's ministry in some way, and you're able, think about signing up. Be a backup. Uh, If our current rate of growth in the family department continues, the next place we're going to need to invest is youth ministry. We are probably going to need a youth ministry in the fall. We've had too many families call our church and ask, what do you offer for teenagers? Which currently is nothing. I mean, if they're really into this, they can, like, sit in here for an hour. Um, But we're going to need a youth ministry before too long which means resources and people and time and a place for them to gather and meet. These are investments that I know we can make as a church. If you want to invest in the work of our church, start by serving. Start by signing up for the ministry or the nursery or the connection center. Um, Join the outreach team or the tech team. Help with slides. Uh, Join a small group. Come to a potluck. Join the choir. Choir's back, you guys. We could use some more voices in choir. There are so many ways to get plugged in and connected to the life of our church. And another thing to do if you want to support our church is give. Uh, Maybe you're someone who doesn't give to the church financially. Maybe you've never given to a church. Um... Consider trying out giving as a new habit this year. You know, give once a month for a year. Watch uh, what that money does in this church. Um, If you're someone who already gives, take this season to prayerfully consider and reflect on your level of support and where God might be calling you moving forward. Only you and God can answer that, too, by the way. I can't tell you how much to give. Um... But maybe it's helping to pay off that roof. Maybe it's throwing 20 bucks a month to the communion offering to help with our benevolence. Maybe there's some ministry at our church that has impacted you, that you're passionate about, that you could serve in and contribute to so that it continues to impact other people. The thing that I think is beautiful is that we decide how our money is spent as a church. We make that decision as a congregation every year in May when we hash out, discuss, and vote on our budget. If you're part of this congregation and you're financially able, don't just support the budget with your vote. Support it with your giving. 
If you're as excited as I am about the type of church, the type of community we are trying to build here at Brockport First Baptist, my simple invitation is to help us build it. Let's pray. God, you've blessed us in so many ways. And Lord, we pray that you would direct us um, both as individuals and as a congregation, as we seek to be good stewards of those blessings. We ask that you'd guide the leadership of our church. Give them wisdom. Guide our staff and our congregation as we seek to discern your will. The ministries you've called us to, the work you've laid out for us, and the people you've called us to minister to. God, we pray for the wisdom and the vision to steward our resources well and to build a temple that honors you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist on Twitter, at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.